All right, listen here, you primitive screwheads. This is my podcast, and you're going to follow us on social media, at Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and leave us a five-star review. Army of Darkness, coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today that person is myself. I have never seen Army of Darkness, despite Evil Dead 2 being my favorite horror movie far and away. Um it's long overdue. Tommy was basically twisting my arm to watch this movie. He was like, come on, we need to get a horror movie in here. Come on, come on, come on. Right, Tommy? <laughs> exactly. I had to get my uh, horror uh, uh, out there, all, all that stuff. And because it's uh, Rami came out with a new movie, you might have heard of it called uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So I was like, okay, perfect time to cover Army of Darkness, Timmy. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect time. And it's also perfect time for us to lead off with a little... A little recap of Army of Darkness, or not Army of Darkness, of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So that way we can put it in the title. Get those Marvel clicks, baby. Exactly. Get the MCU audience we've been Warning. craving. There is clickbait in your area. I repeat, we have an instance of clickbait in your area. They, you know, they warned me that this would happen, that if you do a clickbait segment in your podcast, that the, the system will know of it and they'll alert you. That was the alert. Little clickbait, but yeah, never killed anybody. Tommy, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. You're the Marvel guy out of the two of us by far. Yeah, give me, give me your thoughts. So, uh, because of this, uh, as we mentioned, Sam Raimi, the guy who directed Army of Darkness, also directed Multiverse of Madness. If you uh, aren't in with this type of stuff, and uh, Doctor Strange, the new one, I believe, is one of the first MCU movies in a long time I can think of, or the specific director they picked. His fingerprints are all over this movie uh, in terms of cinematography, specific shots. We're not going to go into spoilers, obviously, but it very much feels within the Sam Raimi canon of whether it's the Spider-Man movies or the Evil Dead trilogy. This really feels like a Raimi movie, and that's why I liked it. See, I halfway agree with you. Now, if you're not familiar with Sam Raimi, you're probably familiar with his three biggest movies. They are the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans. And those always have those very distinctive style and feel to them, especially compared to other superhero movies. This is my problem with the MCU. Yes, his fingerprints are in this, especially more towards the third act of the movie. Mm -hmm. And the cinematography is probably the best of any Marvel movie I can remember. Um, I just think at this point, you guys are so big, right? Just let him do his thing, man. Like, let these directors start doing this thing. The, the MCU is so, it's too big to fail at this point. Let directors do creative things because you'll get more distinct standalone movies. There's a reason why there's only like, at least for me, I'm not the biggest Marvel guy. The other day I was sitting on the couch kind of not feeling great. I was like, oh, let me throw in a Marvel movie. And I was clicking through all the ones that are on Disney Plus and I was there's like three or four of them that I wanted to watch out of the 30 that are available. Like 
you know, you know, not as much for you. Well, uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I think that this is uh, you were talking about how, like, you know, let the director do their thing. You know, granted, Ramy even himself said, like, you know, I had to make some compromises with this movie. Obviously, when you're in the big studio machine, but I still felt enough of his personality was able to shine through the big, you know, studio grinder that it can be. Where you know, a lot of the Marvel movies just like you know, all is just point and click in terms of cinematography with the uh, talking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just boring. I think they made, I think this shouldn't have been a Doctor Strange movie. I think this should have been a Scarlet Witch movie, personally. No spoilers, but just, I think this should have been titled the Scarlet Witch movie with Doctor Strange playing the complimentary piece, in my opinion, because she Mm -hmm. was kind of the heart of the entire movie and really was the catalyst for everything. Was it good? Of course, they're all pretty good. There's rarely a Marvel movie that you're just like meh was it great mm, no it was i thought it was i thought it was pretty good i, I think i gave it a 3.5 out the theater i think i would lower it to a three on three out of five on reflection it's a fun movie you're gonna have a good time it's a marvel movie yeah. you know what they are i really wish they would just start taking more risks and especially when you compare it to Evil Dead 2, Tommy and I were able to go see it in theaters about a month ago, a month or two ago. Yeah. Such a it's such a creative, zany movie with zero budget to it. It's so much fun to watch. And then especially now, what we'll get into way more in detail, Army of Darkness, so creative and zany. And this, when it was able to shine and flourish, it felt great. But when they tried to, you know, the first two acts, it I couldn't really tell it, took, it was it, it took was, a minute to get going. It didn't feel like a Sam Raimi joint until like the third act. Like there no spoilers, but the first act has a big monster in it, right? And I just think of Spider-Man when there's something attacking the city, right? All these extras running around doing these crazy, you know, Sam Raimi loves having women scream in his movie. It's kind of a it's kind of a, one of his trademarks. Right? And there's this off I remember there's this distinctive author shot. I'm like, "Okay, here it is. They're going to have the woman scream." No screen, no. Screen. I was, it, where I, especially when no, but a guy like Raimi that has very distinct style, it wasn't there. It what it wasn't fully there. The first third was kind of more of like a generic like Marvel you know style and stuff like that, and it really wasn't until you know the second act really kicked in is that it really started feeling more and more like a Raimi movie and that he more and more creeped in right there, which might have been the result of you know Scott Derrickson you know at first being the director of this movie. And I have to imagine he probably at least started a little bit, maybe not filming wise, but, you know, in terms of script and direction or whatever. So I also like that they didn't do too many universes. I thought it was going to be, they're going to seven or eight different places that pretty much in one, they go to a a second one, second different universe as well. It's just, it can get a little confusing. Uh, I think it's interesting that they're, I think the one interesting thing that I'm seeing from all these movies is that they're, focusing on the fallout from Thanos a lot and the impact of the snap mm-hmm. and across different multiverses. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Are you going to enjoy it? Most likely. Yeah. If you like the other Marvel movies, you'll like this. If you hate the other Marvel movies, you'll probably not like this because the only people I've heard that had like really negative things to say about this are friends of mine that to be honest, don't really like Marvel to begin with. So you know, I don't think it's going to convert any new fans for the most part, but if you like Sam Raimi and you like Marvel movies, you're going to like this. Um, 
I give this a four out of five when I out of the theater and, uh, you know, fun, let it sit a little bit, maybe more closer to 3.5 at this point, but still enjoyable movie. Yeah. And if you want to watch a better movie, watch the movie that we're focusing on today, Army of Darkness. Ash took a weekend trip through time. To the pit with him! He was trapped. And kidnapped. But they couldn't make him join. How do you stop it? The Army of Darkness. From the director of Darkman comes Army of Darkness. Rated R. So this movie is, I guess, a direct sequel after Evil Dead 2. At the end of Evil Dead 2, he gets sucked in by the necromancer, right? Or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, the, the Book of the Dead. Yeah. The Book of the Dead sucks him in and he goes back in time to like 1300s in, I think it's supposed to be England. Mm. And he crash lands and screams and in the necromancer, he was the prophecy, the one that would save them all. The necro- ne- necromonicon. Necromonicon, excuse me yeah. for... Yeah, yeah, you gotta get your Evil Dead lore right, Timmy. God, <laughs> you can tell who's seen these movies a couple of times, and you can see who grew up watching these movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, very clearly. <laughs> and it's basically uh, Bruce Campbell plays Ash, who is probably the most iconic B movie character of all time. I would say mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bruce Campbell himself is a B movie bl- legend to the fact that his autobiography is called "The Confessions of a B Movie Star." <laughs> also, just I, I forgot to touch on it during the Doctor Strange review, but his cameo was the best part of Doctor Strange by far. Yeah, as yeah. the hot as the hot dog guy is like, uh, don't, don't don't spoil don't spoil the cameo for people. <laughs> oh stop! Oh my god! Oh geez. yeah 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 exactly. Oh, now we're gonna get someone god. on Twitter like complaining about it. Be like, good. ah, you spoil the MCU. <laughs> oh good good good. Complain. Yeah I exactly. You're like bring it on. <laughs> Complain to me on Twitter at Fire R Manfred. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, we, we tried. So, um, you know, Bruce Campbell is in this movie. Um, you might, might know some other people like Ian Abercrombie from Seinfeld. Um, yes, Mr. Pitt. Mr. He looks so confused in this movie. It was so cute. You know, it's yeah. just a good paycheck for him. He's I, actually because I watched a behind the scenes documentary. They must have made like 15 years ago or something about mm. the making of Army of the Dead. And Bruce Campbell's kind of like the main narrator of the whole thing. And he's like, yeah, all these British actors who are used to doing Shakespeare and these very stage plays where they're just drinking coffee and on a set had no idea what they were in for. Ian Abercrombie looked so confused the whole time, but he was great. It was great because this movie has a charm for it. And basically uh, Ash has to get the Necromonicon. He He gets set on a mission to... I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> it's not the Declaration of Independence, but he is trying to steal the Necromonicon. Yeah. To bring him to go get sent back to his time, the early 90s. And he encounters the evil magic. He can't say the, the words properly, the, the proper incantation to steal the, the Book of the Dead. Mm. And you're led on this wacky adventure it's very funny because the plot of the movie is so unimportant it's the movie is so quick uh one thing you gotta love about Ramy and, and, and Gen- Ramy in general same Ramy director 
is that he likes short movies. Um, this movie only clocks in at what, like 82 minutes. And that's, it's, it's shorter. It's probably like 78 actual running time without the credit, yeah. without pre and post credits. So this movie goes from place to place and pretty much just like brings you along for a ride. There's not a lot of uh, very slow character moments, but I think the movie works better for it because there's a director's cut of this out there. That's like 90 minutes or like 92 minutes. And apparently it just drags on where like the, the final fight it just goes on for on and on and on where it's just like, okay, come on, let's just make this fast. Let's just make this lean and get this going. <laughs> yeah. And you know, if you're somebody that loves like a good plot, this isn't for you. Um, you sent me an interview with Quentin Tarantino asking about the evil dead trilogy and him talking about it and reflecting on it. What makes the, I guess we got to just kind of cover like the history of this franchise. The evil dead mm-hmm. is probably the greatest example of an, of an independent, of truly independent movie at that time, getting quote unquote mainstream appeal. The original Evil Dead was filmed in the woods, and obviously, there's plenty of terrible B movies from that time that were just filmed in the woods that are covered yeah. on Mystery Science Theater 3000, Best of the Worst, direct to VHS garbage. Basically, the only way that um, Evil Dead even became what it is is essentially Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King. They uh, somehow got this movie. They filmed it in, in the woods, essentially. Like Bruce Campbell is his friend from high school. And it was basically very much like a family affair and everything like that. They f- f- take the Evil Dead to Con, uh, the Cannes or Cannes, whatever the fuck that festival is called. Stephen King was there and he loved the fucking movie to the point that um, they uh, basically asked him, like, okay, can you put a quote for us? And um, can we pull a quote from you? He said, no, but I'm going to write a quote, uh, a review of your book in a trade magazine and you can pull a quote from there. And Stephen King writes this glowing review being like, this is the next original horror movie you should see. And that's pretty much how Sam Raimi's career kicked off from there and Bruce Campbell's because the second they had Stephen King pull quote right there, they could sell the movie and people were like, oh, Stephen King thinks this is great. Then I should go see this too. <laughs> yeah, and it was interesting. Uh, uh, Tarantino said he saw this when it first released, like day one, because it was covered in Fangoria, which was the big horror magazine of the... 70s 80s 90s yeah and that Stephen King review was in it and he said it was so inspiring to anybody that wanted to get into filmmaking because it told us wait all you really need is a a good premise some creativity and a camera you don't need anything else to make a to make a movie and the interesting thing that I didn't realize is that the Coen brothers and this, you know, their their initial releases kind of paired with each other. And they he incited it kind of like they were almost, you know, Raimi and the Coen brothers were competing with each other. Well, they actually started out together. Um, I forget which Coen brother, but uh, one of them was an assistant editor on uh, the original Evil Dead movie. I think it was, um, e- I think it's Ethan, right? Because Ethan started out yeah. more on the editing side. But, Joel was the director. At, like, the- yeah. But um, growing, uh, they that pretty much the Coen brothers and Raimi grew up together essentially to the point where uh, in their like 20s when they're first starting out, you know, when they're making Evil Dead, Bruce Campbell and the Coen brothers, Francis McDormand and Sam Raimi all stayed in the apartment together. And Kathy Bates is the other person in that apartment, apparently. And so it's just kind of funny. You think of like the crazy fucking stories and the fact that, you know, despite that Kathy Bates lived with Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers, hasn't appeared in any of their fucking movies. So like, how bad of a roommate was Kathy Bates? <laughs> Probably not great, to be honest. I could see her being a little bit of a slob. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy, or let she... us know. Come on the podcast. Let us know. Clarify. Yeah. Clarify yeah. for us. 
Go ahead, Tommy. This is your uh, show, baby. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, basically, so moving on, uh, Evil Dead 2 comes out after Crime Wave, which was a joint production of uh, Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers. Um, I think the Coen brothers wrote on that movie. And it was middle of the studio, so they said, fuck this. Like, we don't want to work in the studio. We have to go back to the cabin. So they did Evil Dead 2. And originally, they wanted to make it um, this movie, Army of Darkness. So, because basically, Sam Raimi said in an interview uh, with IGN, he said, uh, well, when we were starting to make the script for Evil Dead 2, I was thinking, well, he died at the end of the first movie. So what happened? Uh, maybe that thing that hit him, I was thinking I need some dramatic answer for the audience. Maybe that thing hit him and knocked him out of our uh, consciousness and in our dimension into some t- uh, time travel bullshit. That could be the answer for why it's so dramatic at the end of Evil Dead 1. So he started like, you know, twisting around and thinking more and more and more about it. Uh, so he wrote it and he originally called the movie uh, Medieval Dead. <laughs> Which would have been a great uh, fucking title. <laughs> yeah, that that's what this movie should have been called, Medieval Dead. Yeah, so uh, they're going to go through it, and they're thinking about it more and more. And, you know, his producer said to him, hey, Sam, guess what? We can't afford this Medieval Dead thing. It costs like 8 or $10 million. We're only, gonna, only probably going to have like 2 or $3 million. So it's like, okay, no, let's just scale back. Let's just do the cabin again. And, you know, we can do that. And maybe hopefully one day down the road, we can do, uh, you know, the Army of Darkness Medieval Dead. <laughs> and, you know, basically a long thing happens. Darkman comes out with Sam Raimi. Great success. People fucking love it. Um, it's a, so he pretty much gets the check to do Army of Darkness. And it's a universal production. Big budget. <laughs> Yeah, it had an $11 million budget. It grossed $21.5 million. So, you know, pretty Army of Darkness. So that's a pretty good pretty good success, especially for a cult movie at that time. Yeah. It's, it's weird, the definition of cult movies. I feel like cult movies don't really ex- exist in the way that they used to because you had to search and find these things. Whereas I think of something like Everything Everywhere All at Once. If this was released in the late 80s, right? A movie like that, it would be a cult movie because it wouldn't have had the, the budget or anything behind it to, to get this wide release. Yeah. But now you have indie studios that can help that and you have social media to help spread awareness about movies like this. Yeah. That, I mean, it definitely helps. I mean, basically like the evil dead for a while, the first two movies were pretty much like that. People were like pass around a horror conventions and be like, Oh, you should look at this. So especially with the first two, that was a little bit of a slow build right there. Whereas now like, it'd probably find its audience a lot quicker these days, which, you know. Yeah, because <laughs> it was, what, 19, it came out in 1981, and I want to say it, like, it took until 1984 to actually get prominence. Yeah, essentially. There's a six-year gap between Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, which is very weird when you think about the movies. They're very, they're, they're kind of similar, but they're, you know, different enough evil dead 2 just to touch on it it's it's just full on creativity with nothing which is something i respect so much in in movies when you have no budget how can you make a movie and it transcends into army of darkness i think like the for me the real star of the movie outside of bruce campbell he is the spoiler alert but he is the star of the movie he steals the show whatever you want to call it but it's the the way he uses sound, he's able to manipulate sound. He's able to kind of create these creepy, ominous sounds um, and using horror and making it very campy and very stylistic and distinct in terms of like the skeletons 
and the way they attack. Um, they said that Raimi's a huge fan of the Three Stooges. So basically it was, what if we took the violence of the Three Stooges, made it very serious, and made this kind of schlock horror movie? Mm-hmm. And it, it worked so well. It's Evil Dead 2 is probably one of the most influential movies ever made. Army of Darkness is a great follow-up to that movie. Yeah, Evil Dead 2, I'd say, is the best of the trilogy. Army of Darkness, like you said, is a good and fun follow-up. I basically look at Evil Dead 1 as pretty much just like them trying to sell a movie. Because apparently Raimi and Bruce Campbell and all them weren't horror fans at all, but they realized that's what sells. So they went to the drive-in and they saw that all the drive-ins were playing horror movies. They take notes constantly and then like, they're okay, this is a horror movie. Evil Dead 2 comes out, they have a bigger budget. Let's do what we really want to do, which is a more of a comedic slapsticks, Three Stooges type thing, where it's just... You know, the movie has tons of blood, but the whole darn time you're laughing at the screen because it's just so outrageous. And Army Darkness follows that up to, to an extent. I think you can't talk about this without Bruce Campbell. He is so he can he is so diverse, and it's it's shocking to me that he never really picked up in the mainstream. Where I I feel like he would have been a great. I, I'm surprised he didn't become like a big action star in the '90s. He is so good at these like one line deliveries and he has so much physical range and like comedic range. I think so there's a point where he gets infected by these little versions of himself and a second version of Ash grows and he's evil Ash. And this is them kind of like initially splitting from each other. Are you me? What I do, argue me. <laughs> you sound like a jerk. Why are you doing this? Oh, you want to know? Because the answer's easy. I'm bad, Ash. And you're good, Ash. You're goody little two-shoes. You're goody little two-shoes. Two-shoes. <laughs> little goody two-shoes. 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 I just think of the dike. You hear very little of, you know, regular Ash, Bruce Campbell, but think about like the pitch of his voice, the the tempo of how he's speaking. It's very, it's a different cadence from what you would, what you know of Ash, and it's just that dichotomy. And they're doing this on a split screen. You can, you know, this is before um, computer computer effects really picked up. So yeah. the green screen compositing's a little dated, but that's fine. I that and that stuff. Doesn't yeah, at, at this me. point, this wasn't even green screen. It was probably like blue screen or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's one of those things that like Bruce Campbell, especially in that scene with all um, all the people going like miniature versions of themselves, he basically had to know where he was going and where all the characters are. And he basically talked about in his autobiography about how fucking like awful the fight scenes were and how terrible it was. Where basically he said, so uh, it'd be shout out 34, 35, 36, 37, 38. And those are the numbers that are spoken out by a megaphone, by an effects assistant, all correlated to specific movements of an animated skeleton that I interact with, in this case, during a sword fight. At 34, I'd arrive at a critical mark on the floor. Uh, on 35, I turned toward a specific spot toward the rear screen. Since I couldn't actually see the skeleton, at 36, I duck a swipe from the skeleton. And as I rose, a live-action puppet skeleton attacked me from behind. I had about 2.5 seconds to fend him off before number 30. I'd take a swing at the animated skeleton. By 42, the beast would be defeated, and I'd be off into the next fight. So it's just he had to hit these marks 
at a specific fucking point. And if he did it, and then Sam Raimi would be like, okay, that was a little bit too f- slow right there. Bruce, can you fix up 32? But like 30 was good. So just imagine over and over again, 36 takes at most, so, you know, <laughs> at best. <laughs> well, well, Bruce was saying in that documentary, which fun fact was longer than the movie, yeah. <laughs> which I, I, I got a real kick out of. He was like, yeah, Sam just loves to torture me. He'll just shout out random things and make me do embarrassing little things. And then it just won't even get put in the movie. Um, Sam Raimi just loves to torture uh, Bruce. I, it's, it's funny because Sam, Sam Raimi's like yeah. a short little, like, you know, not big guy. But the way they describe their relationship is he, Sam Raimi wanted to be the bully, but he had the body of like a, a nerd. And Bruce Campbell had the soul of a nerd, but the body of a bully. And that's why their relationship just works so, so damn well. Because Sam Raimi loves like just having this sense. Of, well, he, <laughs> loved, he has like a really big sense of humor. They said one of the things that always makes a Sam Raimi production so good and why, pe- why actors love working with him is he always keeps it light, keeps levity on the set. And, and then when, but, you know, he doesn't mind punching you know, punching down on people where Bruce Campbell has a reputation of being a fairly nice guy, very approachable mm-hmm. in spite of his like, you know, you know what he's six, two, six, three in this movie, he's absolutely ripped to shreds. Like the opposites of personalities based on what you would see on their, you know, yeah. based on their looks. And I just, I, I always find that kind of relationship funny. Basically like the whole through line of the evil dead movies is Sam Raimi thinking, how can I fuck with Bruce Campbell even more? Because, uh, you know, like with Evil Dead 2, with the whole blood pouring scene, we're pretty much just pouring gallons of fucking fake blood on Bruce Campbell <laughs> just to like fuck with him and just like, sit, let's see if he'll do it. And Bruce Campbell's always game for it. So it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It It's very fun. That's what these movies are. I think it's something that a lot of times in film criticism gets away from people where they try to talk about the prestige and it's a lot of great prestige dramas and things like that. Like I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about like the most cro- like, you know, saddest scenes in movies. And one of them was Manchester by the sea. I don't know if you've ever, if you saw that time with Casey Affleck. No, I wasn't trying to cry. So yeah, uh, it, it's, a, that one. <laughs> it's a very sad movie. And like the, the culmination of the sadness is when he recounts the night his children die. Cause he goes at like the, how it was like a two family house and the kids were on like the bottom floor or whatever. And a, log fell out of the house and he walked out to go get beer and he came back and the house is on fire and the the kids are dead and he's in the police station which is already that's already devastating and then he's like trying to tell the cops about it and he grabs one of the cops guns and he tries to like put it in his mouth and like kill himself while people are like trying to tackle him on the spot like very intense yeah, it's great. It's you know, it's a good. So story. it's a fun movie, right? But it, but it's a, it's not, it's not. A, I wouldn't call it a fun movie. This <laughs> yeah, is, the exact opposite. Th- this is a movie I could put on any day of the week and just sit back, relax. I don't have to pay attention the entire time. It's a, it's a fun romp. And this is I, an endlessly rewatchable movie. I think it's one yeah, of those you just, all, like you all, said. all three of them are. All three of them yeah. are endlessly rewatchable. And you know, I'm we show we mentioned Bruce Campbell's like you know the split of him as a uh you know like how he can change his voice and like his performance but staple of this 80s 90s action hero era is the delivery of one-liners and by golly does he do it well 
All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. It's a 12 gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right, shop smart. Shop S-Mart. You got that? Now I swear, the next one of you primates even touches me. So that this is him attacking the evil hag she claimed out of the, or the, the bitch hag or something. They, they had like a distinct yeah. title for her. Weird fun fact about it. The, the man that uh, came up with that character was also the actor that performed the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in the original Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've ever, ever heard about that. Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. That's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all connected in that puppetry world because it is such like a limited um, universe. But Bruce Campbell... And I love that each Evil Dead movie, he gets quippier and quippier. Army of Darkness is just him delivering one-liners. At that point, his character is just fully insane, where he's just like this braggadocious. What I love about that scene that we just played in particular is the fact that he's like bragging about a shotgun. He's bragging about how it's from his job at a department store. He works at a Walmart, essentially. He's trying to be like, yeah, this Walmart's the better than the best, and this is the best gun you can get. And all these like uh, fucking like medieval people are like, what is he talking about? You're going to shop at S-Mart, okay? You hear me? And they're all like, uh, okay. And the thing is, and what's great about this performance uh, in general, especially in this movie, is that his character is such an asshole, such like a jackass more than anything, that he acts like he knows better than everyone else, but he constantly fucks up and just constantly gets in the way of himself. <laughs> well, if we're going to, let's dive a little more into Bruce Campbell. Um, I think we need to uh, make a little distinction here. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. Uh, it's a little early in the podcast, but it is very... This is Bruce Campbell's movie, baby. All three of yep. these are, are his <laughs> movie. I would argue that he's the greatest like B-movie actor ever. I, I, I can't think I, I of think anybody so. else. I'm not Cause... super versed in 80s B-movies, but I can't think of anybody else that transcended the genre he essentially is like the closest thing the horror like you know community has to a full-on like 80s action hero of like of like the rambo or indiana jones uh mentality where you know it's, like you said earlier it's a shame that bruce campbell that this movie didn't really do amazing at the box office because if it did i feel like we would have seen bruce campbell in so many movies like this where it's like okay uh He's fighting uh, cyborgs now. He's fighting aliens this time or something. Because at the beginning of this movie, uh, the way it starts is you know, the tail cards. It's Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness. So you could have just seen that template go on and on and on again of Bruce Campbell just fighting zombies or vampires or whatever. Just over and just him uh, quipping out these cheesy one-liners that Duke Nukem stole like five years later. <laughs> yeah. And I just... when if you don't have the right person doing this and let's just put it in comparison, the biggest star at the time, like this movie came out right around T2. 
Hmm. Pretty big movie. Pretty big movie. Uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Imagine Arnold trying to do this. Like Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think benefits from having some of the best action scripts ever handed his way and the best marketing. Yeah. He's so likable, but I wouldn't say he's a great actor. Where in contrast, I think The Rock is actually a pretty good actor, but he has had nothing but garbage pretty much because just the era that he's in they're all very Mm. they're so studio controlled at this point you're not getting a james cameron writing writing scripts for the rock which is unfortunate that would probably be a hell of a movie if he didn't spend 50 if james cameron wasn't spending 15 years on avatar 2 (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's one of those things that this uh this role especially his character is such a jackass that like i don't feel like someone like bruce willis or schwarzenegger or like stallone would have been willing to make fun of themselves so much to that extent. Mm, yeah. like, or this, or yeah. I don't think they had the physical chops for it. You know, they were intimidating. Not as much Bruce. I think Bruce Willis is the closest one to it because he I, went from T, he went from TV to movie. You know, if you hmm. got Bruce Willis pre Die Hard, he'd probably be willing to do this to try to a little make bit. it make it big. And I think there's a little bit of that in John McClane because John McClane's more the everyman of the action hero where you can yeah. see yourself a little bit more as John McClane. Can't really see myself as the Terminator or as the guys in Predator, I, I, you know. I think the closest one we would have had was if Kurt Russell did this because Kurt Russell has been willing to make fun of himself just as much. Yeah, but Kurt, you know, John, John Carpenter is the guy that almost kept, and at least in my opinion, I'm not super versed in horror, but I think of, he almost kept that genre alive in the eighties. Oh, it wasn't mm-hmm. just him. No, it wasn't no, just no. him. Okay. Then, I, then I'm off. I mean, you're, yeah. West Craven. No, no, you're, you're completely you, wrong. You had your West Cravens of the world. Uh, well, I just Friday think from 13th. like, an, I think from like an, in, like from like a more indie perspective, right? Like just like very small budget and very stylized in their own. Well, way. it's the great thing about horror. And essentially is that it's one of those genres that you can just do for a minuscule budget right there. And it can hit like crazy. Like Wes Craven's first movie was very independent like that, where he just filmed it in Connecticut. And um, like, you know, first Friday 13th movie was just filmed at a random like New Jersey camp or something like that. So you can go, you can stretch a lot of your budget. <laughs> yeah. And and now Freddy Krueger, I would argue, is the most iconic horror character ever. Yeah. Outside of exactly. like, Fra- I don't like Frank, outside of like Frankenstein, but they're, they're, old, That's a whole thing. They're, old, they're old dinosaurs now at this point. Who cares? Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know how you could give this movie to anybody but Bruce Campbell. He carries the trilogy on his shoulders. Mm. And I wish he had a little bit more of a leading presence because I just think he would have been electric. And I think if these movies were coming out in the 2000s and got a little more repetition to them with the internet behind them, I think Bruce Campbell would have ended up in like a Marvel movie or something as one of the, as one of, like imagine him and in, in Chris Pratt's role. Like I think he would have been a perfect uh, Star Lord if he was younger. Yeah, if he young was enough, young enough, yeah. You know, at this time, if they were making Guardians of the Galaxy, you put you'd put Bruce Campbell in as uh, as Star Lord, Peter Quill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you just would have been able to deliver those quips. Um, so let's just talk about the ending because the first it's it's a three act structure, but it's the first two kind of blend together, and then there's the big mm. fight sequence. And I got a real bone to pick with one Mister Peter <laughs> Jackson because. <laughs> Peter Jackson essentially ripped off the ending of Army of Darkness and just stretched it out about an hour <laughs> compared to you know the 15 minutes of the ending of Army of Darkness. Now, yeah. 
can I remember how the Battle of Helm's Deep was described in the books that I read roughly a decade ago? No, I can't. Would I say the pacing of them, you know, the, the structure and the pacing of them are, are similar? Yes. Is the tone similar? No, because the Lord of the Rings has a much different tone than very much more serious yeah very much more serious and real he also had about roughly i don't know 250 million dollars more to film (laughs) with than uh than uh, sam raimi did for army of darkness but basically like i think of the scene where they're you know they start off with the with the firing of the arrows with the gunpowder i love that little montage of of them just like he had like an intro to chemistry textbook and they were able to now make gunpowder and they're like (laughs) and turn his car into a fucking windmill thing yeah but <laughs> and, you know i would imagine that a guy like peter jackson especially his earlier work and i think i've mentioned on the podcast before but i think a reason the lord of the rings movies work so well is that you take a really creative director like peter jackson who worked in all these horror like you, there's you see so much evil dead in the orc design, like the creature design of those movies, it's there. So much of Peter Jackson is pretty much just like, you could tell, it's like, this is a guy who watched The Evil Dead. Like you could tell that he likes the Sam Raimi. <laughs> he subscribed to Fangoria, that's for sure. But, you know, other shot instances was like the, the ladder is getting put up and then the, the <laughs> no, the like when the skeletons take the, the tree branch to break down the door and all the troops go in for like the final stand. I'm like, th- this was... D- directly from from two towers and then yeah they, they send a courier out to get the the other opposing army to come and back them up that's like the riders of rohan and gandalf coming down <laughs> on the third day look to the east i will be there dun, 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 <laughs> just the epic dun, thing dun, dun, well yeah. it's funny that you're making this comparison because uh critics at the time when this movie came out said oh the third act is just a ripoff of jason and the argonauts or ever and it's like, no, this is a homage to it. Or, you know, yeah. it's more of like... I am in I am in jest here. I The next time I, I know you don't like The Lord of the Rings because you have the attention span of a two-year-old, but... And that's why I love this movie. That's short as fuck. <laughs> but when I sit back and enjoy The Two Towers, maybe I'll do it this weekend. Who knows? I will definitely still enjoy the battle at Helm's Deep. I just thought it was an interesting comparison and i yeah it's no it is similar it is similar uh it is i'm just in jest about peter jackson ripping off (laughs) sam raimi but if you did peter and you wanted to come on this podcast to defend yourself uh you can always invitations open (laughs) kathy bates and peter jackson the invitation is wide open to come on this show that's all i'm gonna come together we'll be fine with it um so that it, would be that would be the most random group of podcast guests ever, <laughs> Kathy Bates and Peter Jackson. Has, has Kathy Bates even ever been in a Peter Jackson movie? Probably not. No, probably right? not. I'll, and like, what's the movie that we put? What like, what's the movie that we revolved this around? I would just love to do some random like '70s drama, like like Once Upon a Time in America. That's just the movie that we cover with Kathy Bates and Peter Jackson. Just so fucking random. I'm, I'm <laughs> just in. just get their get their thoughts on like uh the great mouse detective or some bullshit <laughs> yeah yo yeah, just pick some like <laughs> pick some disney movie or something yeah yeah so Rat- you ever see ratatouille you ever see ratatouille yeah come on <laughs> what do up. you think about ratatouille peter jackson <laughs> do you consider it a work of art 
uh, we're going to be reaching out to Peter Jackson and Kathy Bates uh, agents after this, and we're going to yeah, defi- we're definitely going to get them on the podcast. One hundred percent. We totally have that cloud. We're not just two guys podcasting in their uh, apartments. <laughs> but it, it is funny to, to bookend it. But it is funny how like Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson pretty much you know they came about around the same time in terms of movies like around early eighties or mid eighties. And then they end up revolution. They come from this low budget horror uh, landscape to now. It's, uh, in the early two thousands, they pretty much revolutionized cinema and blockbusters as we know. Yeah, I mean it's it's true. I would say of the three movies which are actually better, it's obviously Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, yeah, yeah, consistently. Yeah, consistently. Um, in terms of lasting impact, I mean, how could it not be Spider-Man? You don't see all these fantasy outside of Game of Thrones. There's not that much fantasy epics, but you think of Marvel movies. I mean, we already discussed Marvel, you know. Yeah. It really brought superheroes to the forefront of movie culture. And now they're the they're the biggest thing if you want to be a movie star today you have to do a, a marvel movie essentially essentially it's very much in the game plan right there so um but to bring it back essentially army of darkness in some ways was and darkman was essentially the sam raimi like this is how he got spider-man they saw these two movies and it said what what could this guy do for a property ah are you ready comedy partner waka waka would this movie work as a muppet adaptation tommy uh, I think this is pretty much like the poster boy of fuck yes, give me some goddamn Muppets in this movie. There's oh, a tweet yeah. going, there's a meme or like a tweet around of like some guy made some artwork of Ash like slicing the Miss Piggy that looks like a deadite and uh, everyone else is just like the zombie deadite things and stuff like that and I would just fucking love to see this, make this just like essentially the same movie, just Ash there instead and just puppets everywhere else and they're all just fucking puppet zombies coming towards them. (laughs) Well, this is, I I agree. I think this would work as a Muppet adaptation, but I wanted to use this transition to shout out the the makeup and effects team because the the skeletons are just awesome in this movie. I don't even, if you did a Muppet adaptation, I just think you replace all the other human characters. I don't think you need to replace any of the the skeletons because I think they would just fit right in in like a Muppet verse. Exactly. Well, exactly. Like they, they uh, pretty much. It's so zany too. Where it's like, uh, did Muppet Treasure Island have a bunch of like skeletons? And stuff like yeah. That, and that it's almost of the same tone, which is so crazy because this is a hyper violent movie. But it's just like the, the skeletons are just essentially goofy and just like they all sound very cartoonish. Where it's like, oh, I have a bone to pick with you, sir, and stuff like that, and making so many like stupid bone puns that just uh, work for the movie somehow. <laughs> yeah. Uh- Tommy, do you have who the, the crew and your notes on the who did like the makeup and like the yeah? The, so the uh, Tony Gardner, uh, Tony Gardner and his company, Alterian Inc. They did the makeup for Ash and Sheila specifically, and Robert Kurtzman and Greg Nicotero and Berger, uh, the EFX group, they did the remain special effects. Um, and then Tom Sullivan, who did the effects for the Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two, he helped out a little bit too. But this is mostly. Uh, Greg Nicotero and Robert Kurtzman, who Greg Greg Nicotero specifically, if you watch The Walking Dead, he's the guy that is responsible for all the zombie makeup effects on that. So he's been very he's been doing very well lately in terms of makeup game. <laughs> and he also did um, From Dust Till Dawn, um, Pulp Fiction. Uh, I'm trying to see. He did uh, I think he did Reanimator. He did a couple of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies as well. 
Uh, I don't see any Muppets, which is unfortunate, but I know that makeup world and puppetry world is kind of small. So I do wonder if they, if they're, I'm sure there's somebody that worked on the Muppets that ended up working on Army of Darkness. There's no doubt. I, I'm sure there's some connection uh, right there. I mean, I wouldn't even be shocked if, if this movie was great, we would have seen like the Tonight uh, or the Muppet Show or whatever with Bruce Campbell or something like that. Him yeah. guest hosting or something. <laughs> well, not if this movie was great. It was great. It if this movie, if this was, movie was successful at the box office, is what I meant. or a mega hit at the box office, because I, yeah. I a twenty-one to eleven million dollar budget is successful. Well, quote apparently, what happened was so this movie did okay at the box office, but it did a killer on home video, and it just kept on printing uh, like money on on uh, VHS. And so Universal contacted them apparently a couple of years later and said, "Hey, do you guys want to do an Army of Darkness too?" Not realizing this was would have been Evil Dead Four. <laughs> yeah. Well. What do you know what the reason why they didn't call this Evil Dead 3? Uh, so essentially, like we said earlier, uh, Raby originally wanted to do uh, Medieval Dead, and Universal uh, Studios said, No, we don't want to do that. It's the worst of uh, both worlds. It says, Not enough Evil Dead, reckon, uh, it's almost close enough to Evil Dead, but not enough to fully capitalize on the brand. And so they wanted to film pretty much that could stand on its own legs, um, which I think this film does. Yeah, and so Evil Dead Three was um, so. Then Remy said, "What about Evil Dead 3? They said, "No, we don't want that." And then he pitched, "Okay, what about Evil Dead Three: Army of Darkness?" And they're like, "Lose the Evil Dead Three and keep the rest, and we're fucking fine. <laughs> we love that." I, I can't believe they felt like they couldn't brand it. I I'm picturing the the uh, the trailer. You just spell M E D right, and then you just bold out the evil. Mm. You know. Like it's right there. It could have been spilled in bones or something like that. As yeah, you, you, but you would have the 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 med like the before you would go to evil. You would just have that as a you know maybe lowercase and then you maybe in like a red font or something like yeah. jagging pointing out evil dead. So th- this is a similar topic uh, on touch upon. So for example, when we went to go see Evil Dead Two uh, a couple months ago at the IMO Draft House, shout out to them. Um, our friend Ryan, uh, who does our theme music, uh, Ryan Yoso, shout him out. And uh, he asked us, hey, guys, I've never seen Evil Dead 1. Do I need to see that before seeing Evil Dead 2? And we're like, no, absolutely not. You're fucking good. So if it was changed that Ryan was seeing the Army of Darkness with us and he hasn't seen the first two movies, do you think he would have been fine just seeing Army of Darkness? They give you just enough of a recap to get what the hell's going on. Yeah. Um, and I think it sets the tone really well, too. Just saying, like, this this is silly. Sit back and relax. And I love when a movie just identifies that within the first minute. Just being like, hey, you're you're in for a fun little time here. Don't take this super seriously. It's yeah. going to be a fun, fun little movie. Enjoy. So, Tommy, review time. Give me, give me your, give me your review. So, uh, Evil Dead trilogy is a trilogy that I love. Um, I think this is a perfect ending to the trilogy uh you know we have the tv show later but whatever um this movie is just continuously zany and just so quotable bruce campbell saying all the greatest fucking quotes you can think of like hail to the king baby and uh you know like i said duke nukem ripped him off but he, bruce campbell is just so funny and just the whole film matches his energy and this is a movie that we said earlier is endlessly rewatchable i could watch, put this movie on whenever i want and just find out like scene to get involved in so i'm gonna give this movie a 4.5 out of 5 
it's really fun and I really like this and I can't wait to watch it again. <laughs> Tommy, didn't you watch it this weekend and then you texted me before we recorded? You're like, hey, can we just push it back an hour? I uh, want to rewatch it again before, just so I'm fresh for it. I'm like, Tommy, you've seen this movie a hundred times, but fine. I'll, uh, I'll well, yeah, yeah, no, I, I watched it a week ago. I, I worked uh, kind of like half watching and then I was like, you know what? I need to rewatch this, but on my fucking soundbar here. And it fucking hit. I let my I was blasting my soundbar, probably annoying the fuck out of my neighbors or concerning my neighbors, uh, <laughs> either or. But it fucking hit. <laughs> it was worth it. So for me, um, I want to echo the sentiments. I think you really see the power of film and the power of creativity in film, and how a story really doesn't need a ton of meat on the bones, and how all you really need is a charismatic actor really interesting sound effects and and an ability to do things on screen that other directors aren't willing to do to make something unique and stylish that stands out and stands the test of time this is a movie that i would also consider endlessly rewatchable i'm really glad that we covered this on the podcast i give this a four to five Yeah, great, great yes. movie. So Tommy, highly recommend. Yeah. Highly recommend. Tommy, any final thoughts? Uh, so once again, guys, uh, coming up, you know, we're doing uh, a lot of great movies coming up. So Top Gun, I think, is coming up soon. Um, I, Tommy, I, I've already been planning my... I'm so excited for Top Gun, dude. You have no <laughs> idea. Oh, my God. I'm so excited for Top Gun. So I've never seen Top Gun. So get ready for that. I'm going to get ready for all the Tom Cruise and Val Kimmer I can handle. Uh, with the Iceman and uh, Goose and Maverick. These are the only things I really remember about the movie. Uh, we'll talk about more in our episode, but that's coming up next week. Uh, so also, you know, get, uh, subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify. Leave us five stars. And follow us on Twitter, uh, Pod, and same thing with Instagram, Pod. So you know, we post some fun things up with there. Thank you all for listening this week. We'll catch you next week with Top Gun. <laughs>